You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. Amen. I see we have a lot of guests and visitors here with us. I just want to extend a special welcome to you, let you know that we're very glad that you're here, that you chose to worship with us this morning. We count it a privilege to have your presence here with us today. We are continuing in our series, uh, which is called In Columbia, As It Is in Heaven, as we seek to talk about and learn about and discuss how God might use us as his people to make this world, to make our city look more and more like heaven every single day. One of the things that we have said is that what God wants to do through us, he wants to do to us. That when God wants to use us to transform and renew our city, our communities, our our homes, and our families, he wants to also transform and renew us. That he, he works through changing and transforming his people, making us ambassadors for his kingdom. This is his plan of action that the primary plan of the church to make disciples and see our world transformed is not that we would just have great sermons, not that we would just have powerful worship experiences, but that the Holy Spirit will powerfully work in our lives and transform us, that we will be able to be the ambassadors for him that he has created us to be. So we've been looking at different covenant, what we call covenant practices. So for everyone who has become a member, and we're actually starting our Midtown class, which is our class for church membership today, you will actually be able to become a member. And what we've been teaching through are the different practices within our member covenant, the different things that we have agreed to, all of us who are members, uh, that kind of shape who we are, that we believe the Lord uses to shape who we are. Go ahead, and if you can, go ahead and turn to John chapter 13. If you want to turn there, I actually go to a couple verses before I go to that one. But John chapter 13 is where we'll settle in for the most part. So if you want to turn with me, hopefully we have a Bible that is near you. If we do have a Bible near you and you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home with you. And because we desire for you, excuse me, to have your own Bible. So we'll be in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, as Delisha just read, Jesus is teaching his disciples. But I want to go, go to a couple verses First, starting in Romans chapter 12, to help us to understand what Jesus is really doing in that specific context. But even before we do that, the covenant practice that we'll be looking into today, and I'll just read the way it's written in our membership covenant, says, Serving is a way God works through us to love others. Therefore, I commit to using my spirit-empowered giftedness to serve our church according to my season of life. Again, serving as a way God works through us to love others. Therefore, I commit to using my spirit-empowered giftedness to serve our church according to my season of life. So we'll be talking about Christian service today. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. In the first 11 chapters, he's, he's been extremely elaborate and articulate in explaining God's grace and mercy to us. In chapter 12, he kind of turns a corner and begins to talk about now how we are to live out our faith in Christ, how the good news of Jesus changes us and how we should live. So we pick up in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, and he tells them, love one another with brotherly affection, And he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. The Greek word for honor here can also be translated value 
or price. It's originally a financial term to honor someone. Oftentimes at that time was to give them a gift, something that was valuable. Right? We have the term today, honorarium, that captures this idea. To honor someone then is to recognize and acknowledge the value that they have. To honor someone is to recognize and acknowledge the value that they have. It is to, with our actions, with our words, to ascribe value to someone else. Very specifically, to honor someone, especially in this context, would have been to lower yourself to elevate someone else. It would be to to, to push down maybe your desires, your preferences, your comforts, to elevate someone else, to prioritize someone else over yourself. This is... To honor someone. This is why in some cultures, and it's to, to show honor to someone, they would bow. It is with their body, they are showing, I, I am lowering myself because I want to esteem you now higher than I actually esteem myself. Paul says that we are to outdo one another in showing honor. Paul talks about this same concept in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Count others to be more significant than you are. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He's calling us to lower ourselves, to humble ourselves, and in that humility count others to be more significant than we are. My goal for today is that God would use this sermon to make, uh, to make and grow us into a people that enjoys honoring others. We want to become a people who enjoys honoring others. We want to become a people that enjoys honoring others. That this would, and I understand that at some times honoring others will not be our favorite thing to do, but I believe as we grow in understanding the value that the others around us have, as we grow in valuing others, then we will enjoy honoring them because it is just treating them in a way that is aligned with their actual value because they are an image bearer of God. That we will grow in enjoying honoring others. That Greek word in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, that means when he says to outdo, that word is translated outdo. It's a word that means to go before someone and lead the way. Paul is saying, hey, you individual, lead the way in your community honoring each other. Be first in line to honor your brothers and sisters. Be first in line to ascribe value to others so much that you're willing to sacrifice your own desires and preferences for the other. Don't wait for someone else to do it. You go ahead and take initiative and lead the way. You outdo everyone else in showing honor to those around you. You help lead and change the culture of the congregation by saying, I'm not going to wait for someone else to do the thing that no one else wants to do. I'm going to do it as a way of honoring everybody else. I'm not going to wait for someone else to step in or step up, I'm going to do it myself because I am leading the way and showing honor. Paul is telling them to be a leader in taking the lower place, the less desired place, so that others can take the high place. A way to live this out is in every group, any team, any organization that you're in, maybe in our church or otherwise, try to be the best at taking the low seat so others can have the high seat. Lead by example in showing honor. Do not let anyone be better than you at sacrificing your preferences for others. Lead the way in it. 
If you're a part of, our, of a service team here at our church, be the first one to, to volunteer to, be the thing that, to do the thing that no one else wants to do. And in doing so, honor those around you. Don't just look at service opportunities as an opportunity for you to do what you're passionate in. Look at service opportunities as an opportunity for you to honor those around you. Not just to do the thing that you like to do or the, the specific task that you like to do, but to do the thing that you really like to do, which is honoring one another. This is what we want to grow into. He says, outdo one another in honoring each other. I was talking to a pastor I think it was just this last week, he said someone in their church, he was giving an example of how someone has honored him and his family. He said he got a phone call from some people in his life group saying, hey, we're coming over to watch your kids and you're going on a date night and we're not taking no for an answer. They rolled up at my man's house, said, you guys are going out. Here's an envelope. This is the money for your date night. And don't try to give it back because we ain't taking it. I don't know which one of y'all been sitting on what God been calling y'all to do for a pastor. <laughs> I don't know who it's been. The Holy Spirit knows. He knows Which one of y'all? He knows. The Holy Spirit knows. What a way to honor that family. Amen. What a way to ascribe value to them, to show that, that you see that they are valuable. I want to call out a couple other people in our church. I think this is someone I've called out before, but I just heard this last week. There's a member in our church. His name is Zach. Y'all know Zach. For, since... Since August 4th, since August 4th of this year, there's only been one service I was told that he did not serve in Kidtown since August 4th of this year. Brother tried to sign up to serve in Kidtown today, but Kidtown leadership was like, nah, you ain't, we ain't having that. You coming into the service today while leading our church in showing honor and taking the role time and time again consistently that many maybe would desire not to take. I was told also that there was another brother that wanted to serve yesterday, I mean, wanted to serve today, but yesterday was told, no, you cannot do that, because that would have been five weeks in a row of serving in Kidtown and never being able to enjoy worship here with us. I was told his name is Dom. We want to become a people who enjoy honoring others which means we want to become a people who enjoy ascribing the value to people that we know that they have by sacrificing our own preferences. There's a word that's actually the opposite of honor, and it's contempt. Contempt is the way of our culture. Contempt is when you look down on someone, right? When you look down on them with, with, with disgust. Contempt is what I feel when people try to tell me that mumble rap is hip-hop. Contempt Contempt is what I feel when people try to tell me the Migos can rap. Like this is, I look down on this. I am disgusted by it because that is beneath me. Any of that, I, I am disgusted by this. I feel contempt in my heart when people insult all things hip hop with that type of rhetoric. We tend to look at people more with contempt than with honor. We tend to look down on others based on weaknesses that they have, maybe disagreements that we have with them. You know, because we say stuff like, I mean, I ain't perfect, but at least I don't do what they do. I can't believe they, they would do that. I mean, I would never do something like that. What's that? What's that? So if honoring is, is pressing our own selves down to, to acknowledge others and lift others up, contempt then is to try to push others down and make ourselves feel a little bit better about ourselves or make others feel better about ourselves. 
That's what you're doing when you say, I know I'm not perfect, but I don't do what they do. You want to push them down so you can esteem yourself because you know you're not perfect as well. Contempt is the pattern of our culture. It's consistent. It's constant. And God is calling us as his people to lead by example in showing honor to all and ascribing value to all. And in John chapter 13, Jesus demonstrates and leads us in showing honor. He's going to show his disciples here what it is to actually show honor. John chapter 13, I'll start in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... So Jesus at the Passover big meal, this is the night that he is going to be betrayed and be crucified. He's got a few last minutes or hours with his disciples here. So we got we to understand whatever's about to come out of his mouth, whatever he's about to teach is something that's extremely vital and important and is on his mind, his heart, his mind and heart as he is preparing to leave them. We'll continue on. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So this is still said in the scene. So Judas Iscariot is there. He's already planning on betraying Jesus. Jesus knows he's sent from the Father. He's going to go back to the Father. All, all, everything has been put in his hands. Continue on verse 4. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin. A basin is just a bowl that they would use to to wash or cleanse something. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. There There have been few things dirtier than those men's feet at that time. They had been traveling to get to the place that they were at where they were going to have the Passover meal. They walked on dirt roads. All the time, especially in the heat, there was a lot of sweat. On top of all of that, they walked on the same roads that the horses would would walk on as people were were traveling with their animals. And there was no sophisticated cleaning system for the waste from the animals that were there on the roads. Their feet were dirty, extremely dirty. So Jesus, their Lord, gets up, wraps a towel around his waist, grabs a basin, and starts washing their feet. Here's the thing about Jesus' teaching. Oftentimes when Jesus teaches, he's going to tell a story, bring a principle out of that story, and then help them to apply that principle to their lives. He doesn't do that. This time, instead of giving them a story that's a picture, he's like, no, I'm going to give you the picture myself. I'm going to be the picture of what, of how you should live and how you should be. So then we get on verse six. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand, but afterward, you will understand. You have to understand that washing someone's feet because of how nasty it was, it was the lowest of jobs in the house. The person who washed the feet was seen as to have the lowest status in the house. Not, not, not anybody will wash feet. So now when Jesus, their Lord, their master, comes to wash their feet, Jesus, uh, Peter is like, you're going to wash my feet, Lord? You are going to wash my feet? How, how would you do that? I'm supposed to be honoring you, but you, you're coming to wash my feet. Jesus says, you, you, you'll understand later. You'll understand later. Verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. No, Jesus, this is beneath you. This is beneath you, Jesus. You're not going to wash my feet. I wouldn't let you do that. We've got to ask the, the, the saints, the Christians in, in, in the church today, is there any task of serving people that is beneath you? 
Is there anything that you consider to be beneath you that somebody else needs to handle that? Because that's just not something that you are willing to do for the kingdom of God. Is there anything that is beneath you? Peter is saying, Jesus, let someone else be made low. This is beneath you. You're my master. You're my teacher. Jump down to verse 12. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus says, do you understand what I'm doing? Do you grasp what I just did for you? You say I'm your Lord, you say I'm a teacher, you're right, I am that, and I just washed your feet. And now that's how you're to treat each other. That you take the low status, that you, you don't think so highly of yourself, that you think certain things, certain ways of serving other people are beneath you. I generally like to say you can tell the ones who, who are truly servant-hearted by the way they respond when somebody treats them like they're just a servant. Do you need ongoing appreciation to continue to serve faithfully in the way God has called you to serve? If so, you don't believe yourself to be a servant. If so, you don't believe yourself to truly be a servant. Jesus goes low so they can be lifted up. Jesus gets dirty so that they can be clean. Jesus saying, yes, I have a higher status than you, but I am not beyond serving you and humbling myself. Verse 15, for I have given you an example that also, sorry, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus saying, let's be very, very clear. I'm not saying you're on my level. I'm not saying you're where I am. You are right when you say that I am Lord and I am master. He's saying the servant is not greater than his master. You're right. But at the same time, he's showing them, but he went low so that they could be lifted up. Jesus just showed us that that in his kingdom, that greatness is flipped upside down, as many say. That to truly be great is to come up under. It's not just to stand above and lower over your authority, but it's to, to be willing to humble ourselves and come up under those that others might be lifted up. That being a true servant in his kingdom is about honoring others. It's about you going low so others can be lifted. It's about getting on your knees so others can remain upright. It's being willing to get dirty so others can stay clean, the servant, the one that Jesus calls us to be, might do something like consistently getting joy about letting your roommates decide what you watch on the TV. A servant might do something like consistently give people undivided attention when you're spending time with them, even though there's something you really want to scroll through on your phone at the time because you want to honor those that you are with. A servant might do these things. How many people were at the game night on Friday night? Was it fun? Yeah. I, thought it was, I thought it was a lot of fun. One of the things that I was thinking through, even while I was there preparing for this sermon and this message was, how many people in this room right now are caring more about how much fun others are having than we care about how much fun I am actually having? How many of us walked into this room with that type of mindset that my primary goal is to make sure that everyone else in this room is having as much fun as possible? That's the approach a servant takes. That's the approach that one takes that comes in trying to outdo everybody in the room in honoring one another. That I will find joy in you having fun and you having joy here at this function. 
When your life group plans events, are you more worried about whether or not the event is something you like than you're worried about whether or not it's something others would like? Do, are you more likely to show up at the thing if it's something that you like and that you prefer than if it's something that someone else prefers? If so, if so, you're not approaching it as a servant who's looking to honor someone else. You came to be served and not to be a servant. If it's really all about whether or not it's something that you enjoy and something you like, you expect everybody in the group to just bow down and serve you. You expect everyone else to just do what you prefer because you expect to be receiving from the group more than you expect to be giving to the group. Are we servants? Are we following our Lord who came to serve? As Christians, we must remember what our Savior said in Matthew 10, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Those who come to serve might walk into a room like this one and ask the question, how can I honor everyone here? How can I affirm and acknowledge the value that everyone else has by lowering myself and my preferences that they might be lifted up. A servant who, who truly seeks to honor others might think through, where might I sit? Is there a place to sit that others might not want to sit so others can sit in the place that they desire to sit? A servant who walks into this room might look around to see if there's anyone who, who seems to maybe not know anyone and maybe you could have a conversation with them. A servant who's a member for our church might arrive at about 10.45 a.m., give or take, so that we can welcome guests and visitors who come to join us and arrive a little bit before 11. Yeah. I read the first part of Matthew 20, verse 8. I want to read the whole thing and finish the verse. Matthew writes, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus opened their eyes to what it is truly to serve and honor someone the night before he was crucified. He, was, he led the way in honoring one another. He outdid them in serving each other. He even washed Judas's feet. Jesus, Judas went and betrayed Jesus with clean feet because Jesus came to serve and not be served. Because Jesus came to take the low road, because Jesus came to get himself dirty that others might be made clean, because Jesus came to be dishonored so that we could be honored, because he came to give his life as a ransom for many. And probably less than 12 hours later, after he washed their feet, Jesus, Judas came back with his clean feet, with a mob of soldiers that came to take our Lord and Savior away. See, he was the only one that was perfect and righteous, but he took the position of a lawbreaker. He was the king of kings, but he was mocked by the leaders of their day. He was the Lord of lords, but he allowed himself to be chained like a slave. He is the son of God, but he suffered the most shameful of all deaths. He is the creator of all things, but he allowed himself to be beaten by the very hands that he created. He is the only one that was actually clean and pure from sin, but he became dirty with our sin and with our guilt because of our sin. He is the all-powerful king of heaven, but he made himself weak so that we could be saved. He is the only one who he is the only one who deserved who could rightly look at anyone with contempt, but he came and honored us more than anyone has ever honored you in your life because the son of man came to serve and not to be served and give his life as a ransom for many. If you're a follower of Jesus, I need you to know that Jesus honored you when he died. 
He honored you. He ascribed such value to you that he was willing to take the lowest place. And not only did he didn't just get get down on the floor with a towel around and wash your feet, but he was willing to be crucified on a Roman cross. He was willing to be killed so that we might live. He was willing to suffer under judgment so that we could be justified in his sight. He went low so that we can go high. He died so that we could live forever. Jesus was willing to take the low road. But you got to know the story doesn't stop there. You got to know the story doesn't stop there. Some of y'all know what happened after he died. I'm going to go to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to go 4 through 11 real quick. It says, let each of you look not only to, your, to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is him stepping down, verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then it says, therefore. I had one theologian tell me one time, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you got to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Why is the therefore there? The word therefore means the next thing that I'm going to say is based off of what I already said. So the next thing that Paul is going to say is based off the fact that Jesus came and humbled himself and died on a cross. And here, here we go. Verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's my point? That what Paul is saying here is that through the proving of his faithfulness and his humility, that is why he was exalted to the name that is above every name. That he suffered and he humbled himself for a while, and because of that, he was exalted to the highest place, and every knee will bow down to him. You see, in the kingdom of God, it's the cross before the crown. It's the cross before the crown, and that's the way that it was for Jesus. He came and he suffered, and he, and he humbled himself, and he, and he was willing to put himself down. And God looks and sees that and says, oh, you're the one that, that deserves to be exalted. The one that honors more than anyone else, the one that pushes themselves down, is the one that should be exalted above all others. He died, he lowered himself, he was sacrificed, he was abused, he was mistreated, but afterwards he was exalted with the name that is above every name. Because he made himself low for the good of the world. And because he made himself low, everyone else will bow their knee and make themselves low before him. Our risen Savior. In the kingdom of God, see, we're called to sacrifice and we're called to give and make ourselves low that others might be lifted up. But don't forget, that's not the end of our story either. That's only the beginning of our story as well. 2 Timothy, I just want to hit this real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. What's Paul saying? Paul is a man who knew suffering, who endured so much. And he's saying, hey, the cross before the crown applies to you too. He's saying in this life, you carry your cross just like Jesus did. And in the next life, you're going to get a crown just like Jesus did. He's saying us taking the low place is only a temporary situation and heaven is going to be filled with people who came and sacrificed their lives. Many who even died for their faith so others might come to know him and everyone who has sacrificed, who has made themselves low for the glory of God will be exalted and will reign with him forever. 
Our God does not call us to serve just because he wants us to be low, just because he wants us to be humiliated. He says, no, 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 in my kingdom it's different. See, the greatest ones are actually the ones who serve, are actually the ones who make themselves low. And I'm going to show how great they are because when I come back, I'm going to elevate them and I'm going to exalt them and they will reign with me forever. So you live a life of sacrifice for a few years now and then for a trillion years times infinity, you will be exalted and reign with our God forever he calls his people to service in this life we serve in the next life we reign don't spend your whole life on this side trying to be above everybody else trying to look down on everybody else don't spend your life trying to achieve some type of status so people look up to you in some type of way you spend this life humbly serving humbly deferring to other people Humbly pushing your preferences to the side and your preferences down. And God says, when you come to be with me, you're going to be exalted. And you're going to reign forever. And that is the story of the follower of Jesus. That is how the kingdom of God works. The greatest are those who sacrifice. The greatest are those who serve. And here's how I believe we continue to grow in enjoying honoring one another. We remember and we keep in mind what I believe Jesus was trying to show them there in John chapter 13, that he has already outdone us in service. That when he's calling you to serve others, when he's calling you to outdo others in service, we do it from a standpoint from where we remember that this is already what's been done for us. That I don't need somebody else to outdo me in serving and honoring me because Jesus has already done that. I've already been honored. I don't need to try to fight for my honor here. I don't need to try to fight for my honor from people because Jesus has already honored us. So here, we just serve. We just go low. We get dirty so others can remain clean. We sacrifice our preferences so others can be lifted up because we have already been honored by the King of kings and by the Lord of lords. The one who has honored you is the most valuable being in all of the universe. Jesus himself. You don't need honor from anybody else. You don't need acclaim from anybody else. God himself has already honored you. So now we get to just serve. We get to just be the people of God who come and serve and whatever needs to be done, we'll do it because we know that our God did whatever needed to be done so that we can go and be with him. We're not trying to reign now. We know that's coming later. So today we serve in whatever way God calls us to serve. Whatever it looks like, nothing. If the cross is not beneath our Lord and Savior, nothing is beneath you. So we just give ourselves. And we become a people that lead in this world by showing honor to others. We honor all we come in contact with. We go low for all who come in contact. Anybody who comes in his doors, we want them to know we are our people that enjoy honoring them because we see their value. Because we were valued by the King of Kings and by the Lord of Lord, so we serve, so we outdo one another in showing honor because he's already outdone us in honoring us. So we seek to lead the way in showing honor because he has led the way for us in showing honor to us. This is who we are as citizens of the kingdom of God. We are servants. We are those who sacrifice for others because that is what our king has done for us. In just a few moments for all the followers of Jesus in the room, we're going to partake in communion. 
Communion is a reminder of how we have been honored, of how he valued us, that when we take the bread that's been broken, it it reminds us of his body that was broken for us when they crucified him. When we dip it in the juice, we're reminded of his blood that was shed, that he died to serve us, that the Son of Man came to serve and not to be served. So we partake in communion remembering that we've been served, that we've been honored. So we don't live this life seeking honor and we don't live this life seeking for others to serve us because we've already been served and honored by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your service. God, you came for us. You're the perfect one. You have all power in your hands. You have authority over everything. You didn't have to come and die for us, but you, you got dirty so we could be made clean. Just like you got the the literal dirt from the disciples' feet onto yourself, you got our sin, you got our guilt, you got our condemnation on yourself so that we could be made clean. God, make us a people. Make us a people that honors others because we realize how much we've been honored by the King of kings and Lord of lords. My God, humble us. Will you remind us of that beautiful fact every day of our lives? the beautiful fact that we've been honored by you already and that we will reign with you forever. Fathers, as we partake in communion today, I just ask that this wouldn't just be something that we do routinely that has no meaning to us, Father. Help us to, to do this in remembrance of you, of what you did that night when Judas went to betray you. Would you remind us of who you are, of how good you are, and of how you have honored us. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.